Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Holderness Family Podcast. My name is Kim. My name is Penn, and we are trying something new today. What are we trying something new? Well, we're we're having two very accomplished women on who are experts in talking about politics and also talking about how to talk about politics. And we are releasing this on a politics day. So if you're listening uh, to the day on the day this actually is released, it's election day 2022, which is midterm elections. We had Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers from the award-winning podcast Pantsuit Politics. Uh, They've been named America's political therapist. And I feel like I personally, but we all could benefit from a little political therapy. Um, And I, you're going to hear, I went into this discussion wondering if we should even be be having it in a public way. (laughs) And and even saying like, okay, we're going to interview these people and we can have a conversation and sit down and say, should we even put this out there? Because I have felt, especially in the past few years, very... Politics has been very upsetting. And I think it's that is something everybody can agree on that politics has been very upsetting. So today you're we're not going to talk about specific issues. Um, you're going to hear some of our non-negotiables, of course, and some of our boundaries we have. But it was a really, really good discussion about how to have grace yep. and how to have conversations with people who don't align and whether I I have to say like I have I was corrected and my mind was changed a couple times during this podcast so Sa- it was a big deal same no, I I think <laughs> what was it that she used I think she used like eject button or safety hatch on one of my political philosophies and it, it stung a little bit when she said it and over time I'm sitting there listening I'm like yeah yeah because I like I do have this I do have an eject button I have like look here's my one thing you have a different one thing. That's okay. We're going to move on. And I think that's okay in small doses, but I don't want that to be that to, I don't want that to define my ideology. Yeah. And I'm glad she's so I learned something as well. Yeah, so so they were both very kindly pointed out some some uh, things we were doing, but I have to say I left if, if you're like me and you're feeling very anxious about any sort of political conversation or politics in general, I hope it brings you some relief because I, I feel better than I did an hour ago when we had this conversation. That's awesome. I, I was feeling very anxious all day long today and I feel a lot better oh, now. That makes me happy. Do you want to do you want to do, do you want me to read the intro? You wanna, so, you wanna, let's read it together. Hold on. Before we okay. get to the okay. interview, we have yeah. a few housekeeping items. Uh, items? Uh, wow. They're like, you know what they are? <laughs> they're, like, they're items that are so important. They're like vitamins. They're like vitamins. <laughs> Kim, I think you've invented a new word. An vitamin. You should take it every day. This is vitamin B12. Go. Okay. Well, I mean, it's not this one's. Okay. You should subscribe and leave a review to this podcast. Oh my God. Did you just fart? Yeah, but they didn't hear that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he, j- oh my. I had Lord. some vitamins this morning that made me a little bit gassy. <laughs> he lifted up his entire right side no of his body. No one can see that. Oh, Sarah and Beth are going to listen to this podcast and be like, wow. 
They are classic. I can tell you're in a better mood because okay. you laughed at my fart. Okay. Leave a review like Elizabeth Cranston did. She said, just wanted to thank you guys on multiple counts. My family and I started watching your funny videos during the pandemic, and they helped us laugh during a very uncertain time. My husband and I read your book and loved it and then stumbled upon your podcast. I've learned and laughed and cried with you guys. Oh, thank you so for nice. all you do. That's so nice. Thank you, Elizabeth. And your husband, Brian. Great Cranston. Maybe? No. No? Okay. Okay. Also, reminder, our game family face-off and new line of t-shirts and hats and sweatshirts are all available right now. Go to theholdernessfamily.com to find the game in our... And our shop. So the game, you can even search Amazon for Family Face-Off. Um, go to our shop on theholdernessfamily.com. We had a pickleball, y'all, t-shirt that sold out in like 30 minutes. They're back in stock. Hopefully. By yeah. the time, we don't know, by the time that you hear this, well, we hope they, they're still back in stock. Right, yeah, but they're going to keep yeah. making them. And if you, right. if you have the game or the t-shirt, whatever, tag us on Instagram. We'd love to see that and we'd share it. So thank you. Okay. Now for our guests. Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers host the podcast Pantsuit Politics, which has been featured in the New York Times, The Atlantic, and named by Apple Podcasts as one of the best shows of 2021. They are the co-authors of I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversation. Love that title, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Sarah and Beth speak frequently to universities, businesses, and civic organizations about improving political dialogue. They both attended Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky, and were sorority sisters there. Then each went on to receive their Juris Doctors, which is like a graduate professional law degree in law or a doctor of law. Mm-hmm. Sarah has worked on Capitol Hill, served a term as city commissioner, and is a mother of three. Beth has practiced law, serves on several local boards, and is a mother of two. Their mission is that their podcast fosters connection and not conflict. Also, we are North Carolina folks. Sarah lived in North Carolina while her husband attended Duke Law. And on GMA, they were both called America's Political Therapists. So welcome to the show, Sarah and Beth. We're so excited to have you. What a treat to be with you all. Okay, so you have been called... America's political therapists. <laughs> we love therapy. I know where that was going. It made me yeah. a little nervous. What have I've been called a lot of things in my life, yeah. but yes, that's one of them. Yeah. So I I love therapy. We talk about we talk about like just regular old good old fashioned therapy, some marriage counseling. I have I think in my life I need some political therapy. We all do in the year of our Lord twenty twenty two for sure. <laughs> yes. So I will say I was even hesitant. I'm like, should we even? I love your podcast, but Thank I was like, you. should should we even have them here? Because I will admit that I was afraid. Like, like I am still afraid that like I may go off the rails because I am so <laughs> tense. She wasn't worried about you. No, that's, that's what we're no, saying. You guys are good. She, she wasn't You're worried safe. about either of you. And we had a pre-production conversation about this that was centered around. I need a safe word. What happened? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do think that that Sarah and Beth are are here for us. They they wrote a book, and the name of the book in itself just it just sounds like it's exactly what you need. We wrote two books. Yeah, we've written two books. I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. That's the one. Yeah, I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. A guide to grace-filled political conversation. And we talk about grace all the time, Kim, in our relationships. And now Sarah and Beth are going to tell us how to use grace when talking about politics. The floor is yours, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the political therapist moniker came about is we didn't we didn't start the podcast with that in mind. Right. Right. We started the podcast because we needed our own processing time. We wanted to have conversations about the news and the political issues that we weren't hearing anywhere else. Because 
in my experience, even people who are not outwardly political are concerned about the world. You know, like they know it's important, but they feel like either I don't know enough about politics to engage or I'm just going to get yelled at or it's just going to lead to conflict. And, you know, our premise when we started was like, well, that's not getting us anywhere. This idea of like agree to disagree, just avoid it is not Mm. working Mm. um, because we're all stressed, anxious messes about politics and the news. And so, you know, it it really began because we wanted to talk about it with each other. We were each other's political therapists. I'll never forget, you know, so many people when we started would be like, oh, you want to talk about the news? And I'm like, yeah, and I'm less stressed about it than you are because the not talking about it is what's mm. stressful. The processing it and just sitting down and going, I don't know what this means, or I don't know how I feel about this, or you know what, I think I've changed my mind, or I'm livid. I mean, I, listen, I've spent a lot of time on the podcast just being mad, and yeah. people say like, I just needed a space to to feel mad. We don't we don't like to live there because that's its own damaging type of political media. But you do need space, especially as women. I think we needed spaces to just say like, I'm mad about this and I'm upset about this and. I think that's where the moniker came about is because people felt like, oh, well, I'm going to this place and I'm stressed and I'm anxious and I leave less stressed and anxious because at least I got my thoughts out. Like I felt like there was a place for me to, to exercise my anxiety or to have some hope or to say to do some learning together. Um, and that's what we we really, really try to do on Pantsuit Politics. And I think, <laughs> you know, it's it's. I always tell people it's like it's like a podcast for people who hate politics. <laughs> it's just, I know it sounds weird, but if you if you have that anxiety, it really is a place we try to create where we can not make it worse, where we can acknowledge it, but not make it worse. But Beth, true that this started because in in theory, in the very beginning, you guys came from different political sides. I'm using air quotes here when I say you differed. We did, we did, and I think we found that as like. Um, an easy way to introduce people to what we were doing in retrospect though. I think what we've always been interested in is just relationships and community Mm -hmm. and, and in doing what therapy does, which is like, Hey, this, this really destructive thing that you're not talking about. What if we just Mm -hmm. talk about it? Mm -hmm. Maybe we can't fix it, but we can make it better by unearthing it. And I feel like that's all we're doing. We're saying, Hey, everybody, we understand that in your homes and in your school systems and in your workplaces, and in your lives, Politics sit there like that terrible thing that no one wants to talk to, but of course they impact your relationships. That's part of why we're so scared to get to them. Mm-hmm. So let's do that. And and along the way, I changed my party affiliation. The sun still came up. We were mm-hmm. still able to make a podcast. The audience hung with us because it's really never been about persuading people to follow mm-hmm. a particular ideology. It's more about how are we interpreting what's happening and can we can we invite you into that conversation with us so that you don't feel so stressed about it all the time. Mm-hmm. So this is a wonderful 30,000 foot way to, to digest quickly what it is that you guys do. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to take you in for a landing. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going on final approach and we're down on sea level where my wife stands. And she like one thing I love about my wife is how incredibly open she is, not only about how she feels about the world around her, but also what's going on inside her own mind. She's very she's very honest and open about her foibles. I I know that one thing she was worried about, as we said before, was was even this bothering her having this discussion because, Kim, um, we can we can be honest and open here politics are a trigger for you and they're they're very difficult because of the passion that you have for them. Correct. 
Yes. True. I feel like I'm on, I'm on the witness <laughs> yeah. stand. Yes. Um, <laughs> so can, can you share with them those feelings and maybe they will be able to talk you through a way gracefully to, to navigate through them, especially like this podcast is coming out the day of a very contentious midterm election. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I will say, and I'll back up because I feel like both of you have mentioned this, like being open to have a discussion and open to have your mind changed. I do think one of the very, like the most interesting feelings you can have as a human is having your mind changed. And mm. I, I do, I was a journalist at heart. So I enter conversa conversations with genuine curiosity. And there have been, I used to walk into elections very, like I used to research, like where was the tax money? Like how, what do you think, of, you know, like how you think our school should be run? What do you think? So I did go in with a very open election because I don't know, I don't know the best way to run things. And I have had my mind changed on some issues. And it's really cool to have your mind opened and changed. There are things I will never change my mind on. And that is where like I, I have developed in the past several years just hard stop. Like if you think it's funny and you think that there should be a Halloween costume about an 82-year-old man attacked in his home while he was sleeping mm -hmm. and you want to tweet about it and you think it's funny, I think you are damaged as a human. And so mm -hmm. that's where I'm like I'm not willing to have I, – I, I need therapy because I have stopped conversations where I'm like, if you don't think that my friends in the LGBTQ community shouldn't have rights to be married, to adopt children, just basic human rights, like, I think we have a fundamental issue. And I, whereas my husband's like, oh, I have a lot of friends that I'm like, I don't see both sides of that. And that's where I, but I'm not getting anywhere. I have family mm. members and we so, we so we dig in and disagree to the point where our relationship is harmed. And so, and it's not, and, but I know I'm not alone. I know, I'm, but that's where I was like, should we even be talking about this? But if you can, ha if you say there is a path forward, even for me just to, to soften and to be able to hear things, I am all ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would never ask you to soften on those things. Those yeah. are hard lines for me too. Okay. You know, yeah. I am very passionate about that. Sarah is very passionate about a lot longer list of things than I am. And it's not that we're saying don't have beliefs, don't have non-negotiables. We need those as a society and as individuals, we need those. What we would say is if you are in a relationship with someone that is otherwise pretty good, yeah. and the issue that you're talking about where you have this hard stop divide is not one that gets to your personal identity, right? So I'm not in the LGBTQ community other than as an ally. And so if I stay in relationship with a person who believes that marriage equality should not exist, then I have the opportunity to work on that person over time. I would not ask someone who is gay to do that work. That is my work to do as an ally, right? Okay. The same thing with immigration conversations. I would never ask someone who's a first-generation American to stay in the kinds of relationships that I've been in with people who say really ugly things about immigration. Mm -hmm. But over time, I think bringing that mom energy, exactly what you said about Paul Pelosi, mm -hmm. I think you looking at people and saying, I cannot believe what you're saying right now. That's outrageous. Mm -hmm. Or they spin a conspiracy theory about what actually happened there. 
you say, you know better than that. I think we need that. And that's been our advocacy. I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. And I'm also talking. I'm not being a doormat and rolling over to you. We kind of tell ourselves there are two options in political conversation. We cut people off forever and ever, or we beat them down until they are persuaded of our viewpoint, which does not happen. (laughs) And we're just looking for that path where over the long run, we say to people, we we will live together in community and figure this out. And so I'll listen to you and then you got to listen to me and we'll do it again and again and again. And hopefully something starts to come together from that process. So you're, I do have yeah, I do have a much longer list. Yeah. Um, I have a very long I, list too, but I know our podcast is only a certain length. But yes. Right. And yeah. I and I spent a lot of my life, most of my twenties, just really feeling righteous and trying to shame people into my way of thinking. I mm-hmm. sent so many long reads being like, this statistic is going to finally convince them. It never worked mm-hmm. to my intense and eternal disappointment because that doesn't, shame doesn't work on people. Right. It just, I wish it did. I think a good amount of social pressure does like a, just a good healthy. Yeah. I can't believe you said that. That's outrageous. Like in the moment mm-hmm. that'll work. Like a little social pressure will do you some good, mm-hmm. but just shaming people. You're That's a terrible person for feeling that way. Like it just shuts. It's like a brain chemistry situation. There's just like a big old heavy steel door clap shut. And we live in a democracy in the name of the game. And a democracy is persuasion. So if we don't believe that persuasion is possible, then that is also a threat to democracy. Mm. That is also a threat to democracy because that's what we're here to do is to work on each other and to persuade people. And that's not just my political belief. That's sort of my religious belief. That's my central values is like we're not here to be alone and we're not here to craft this perfect situation in which we never feel discomfort or conflict inside our personal relationships. That's just mm. not realistic. And we are here to work on each other. Um, so where, Sarah, where does the grace come in there? How do you do it tactfully? I mean, I think the grace is acknowledging that that is what we're here to do. Grace is not something we, I don't think it's always like a thing we say in the moment. It's a vibe. (laughs) It's a vibe that says, you belong here as much as I belong here. I want you here as much as I want to be here. And you are not the entire, you are not only your most heinous beliefs. Like one of the most formative moments in my life is I saw Sister Helen Prejean, the nun who was the inspiration for Dead Man Walking. Remember that movie? Yeah. And she was talking about being on death row. And she said, I thought, well, I don't, you know, you don't, you don't ask people why they're on death row. That's like a thing you don't do in prison, right? You don't ask why people are here. And she said, and I thought that makes sense. I don't walk, people don't walk up to me and ask me the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Mm. And, you know, we don't, we've just like, we've almost forgotten this this sort of fundamental way. It's like you treat others how you would want to be treated. You don't want to be reduced down to your political beliefs. Right. You don't want people. I don't like it when I'm passionately pro-choice. I don't like it when people treat me like a murderer. Right. <laughs> like I don't like that word. <laughs> it's mean. Um, and it's also stupid because I have three kids. Like, so right. I just, you know, I just, I, I try to, to be treated, to treat people the way I would want to be treated, which is not being reduced down to what others feel are my most heinous political beliefs. And that's the reality. No matter who you are in America, someone somewhere thinks a belief you hold is heinous. Yes. Heinous oh, oh, in the truest sense it. of the word. Yeah. I don't care who you are. Somewhere yeah. someone thinks it's heinous. Yeah. And that person loves their kids. And that person wants their kids to be, have a better life just like you do. Mm-hmm. So what's going on here? What happened? Right. 
And there's a lot happening. It's not just our own personal character. The grace is understanding that every person is a constellation of their media consumption and their family history and their trauma and their therapy. That's grace, right? Is seeing that undercurrent in everyone's lives. That is a, a massive amount of things they could not control and they have to choose to react to just like you do. And, you know, understanding like it's that 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 attribution error, right? When somebody else does something like they're the worst. But when we mess up, well, it was just I was tired and cranky that day. Yes, right. Like exactly. all those things, uh, like seeing that that constellation of things that's that surrounds every human being is the grace to say, like, we're this isn't just what we're never talking about what we're just talking about. That's the first thing. We're never just talking about that political thing. We're always bringing so much baggage to the conversation and so much life experience and and just feeling that, feeling all of that energy in that person's life, in that conversation, in what we're talking about, like not, and that's like their whole life, not just like, did they sleep well last night? Did somebody yell at them at work before Mm -hmm. they engaged with you in this conversation? Like, there's just so much there. And I think that's what we're trying to name when we use the word grace is just see it. Don't, we zero in, we can't. We can't get outside the words being said and the, the whatever we're talking about in that moment, but there's so much more going on. We're coming right back. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by Care Of. Pen. The birds are singing. Mm-hmm. The the buds are on the tree. Yes. Winter is finally turning into spring. Yeah, you're a big fan of the spring. And you know, I also love the sun finally coming out from hiding. And you know me. The cold weather just wreaks havoc on my skin, my energy levels, everything. And that is why you've, Kim, you've been trying the Care of Vitamin Packs? Yep. They have these daily packs that you can take on the go, like ceramides, which help reinforce your skin's protective barrier, and iron for energy levels. Yeah. It's awesome because all you do to get started is take a short online quiz about your lifestyle and your health goals, and Care Of will give you doctor-backed recommendations. And they ship high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. And something new at Care Of, if you're not yet ready to subscribe to monthly packs, some of their best-selling vitamins are now also available in bottles. For 50% off your first Care Of subscription order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code HOLDERNESS50. That's 50% off your first Care Of subscription order at TakeCareOf.com and use code HOLDERNESS50.
This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Pen, you know I'm always looking for a snack that's both nutritious and tasty. Both a little snacky, yes. Uh, but of course, the healthy stuff tastes like sand, and the stuff that tastes good isn't healthy, right? Not IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are a quick, low-carb option that I love to grab for my midday slump. So start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. Get seven IQ Bar flavors, four IQ Mix flavors, and four IQ Joe flavors. And today, our listeners get an exclusive offer for 20% off plus free shipping. Just text Holderness to 64000, which is 64000. All IQ Bar products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMO, and artificial sweeteners. Plus, they're packed with high-quality ingredients to keep you physically and mentally fit. And they have a bunch of delicious flavors like chocolate sea salt, which is my favorite, peanut butter chip, and wild blueberry. Don't forget over 10,000 five-star reviews and counting. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text HOLDERNESS to 64000. Get your discount. Text HOLDERNESS to 64000. That's HOLDERNESS to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. You made such a good point about staying in the conversation. And I, I think I've had so few real authentic conversations that come where we come to the table out of curiosity. I'm talking about mm-hmm. like previous Thanksgiving dinners or, you know, gatherings, you know. It seems for you like a, a lot of your conversations actually, they're not really conversations. The it's, thing, it's a lot of... Um, it's, it's comments. It's it's posts. It's, well, it's, it's feelings. It's it's media that people share. Well, I've, when, um, when, when I've had the, you know, opportunity to be face-to-face, which, I mean, people, we're in November, Thanksgiving's happening. This is going to be, a, you know, people are going to be around the table with people that they may not align with. And what has happened to me is that I do just, you know, I try to go like curious, fact-based and it gets very, I hear talking points that I know where they came from and I know their faults and I, I do just shut down and say, and then smile. And I, I don't, I never say agree to disagree because I, I think that's a cop out, but I'm like, we're not going to see eye to eye on this and you're not going to change my mind. And so I think we're both trying to change each other's mind. Have you ever with success persuaded someone to soften on, on something, on, on anything? <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely curious because it's never happened. To let's me. ask, let's ask Beth that question first. <laughs> I think so, but I think it's never been immediate. It's never been like an in the moment conversation. It's been an overtime. I'll never forget getting a message from a longtime listener of ours who disagrees with us on just about everything. Both of us, even though we both see the world a little bit differently, this person is is you're both wrong. Listens listens to us as a way to not be in his own bubble, which I appreciate. I'm glad he listens. That's wonderful. Yes, and that's why I interact with him. You know. And he's, he said to me after a conversation we had about abortion, I'm not where you are, but you moved my needle. Mm. And I thought that's all this is about for me is moving the needle a little bit. Because in this country, especially the way our system is designed, two points, three points of people moving their needle changes the outcome of our elections and the control of the House of Representatives. You know what I mean? Right. So just moving the needle is a big deal in those Thanksgiving conversations. 
I think that the point is not to move the needle as much as it is to work on the relationship. And what I have found to be most successful when someone is coming at with me with those kinds of comments and theories and um, sort of what feels aggressive in terms of the politics is just to say, what are you hoping for in this conversation? Hmm. Oh, what yeah. are you looking for as we sit here together yeah. and do this? I'm because looking you... for you to agree with me. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> which is unfortunately yeah. what everybody really wants, right? Yeah. But it's interesting because when you say that out loud, you know how silly it, it is. And ridiculous. you can say that. This is where I think we turn the grace back to ourselves yeah. and say, I also am entitled to show up in this conversation and I can trust people to get mad at me and still love me. And I can trust myself to get mad at them and still love them. And I can say things like, that sounds really silly when you say you want to change my mind. So what is it that we're actually trying to do right now? Mm -hmm. Are you just trying to kind of push my buttons and see what my reaction is? If so, like, why don't we talk about sports instead? You know, but just what, what is the purpose here? And if you want to have a conversation that prioritizes curiosity, I'm here for it. I'm here for understanding why it is that you trust the Daily Wire more than the New York Times. I'd be very interested in getting into that. So my father is like all the way on the other end of the political spectrum of me. Um, And we've had lots and lots and lots of conversations. Some he he tried to unfriend me during the 2016 election and I persuaded him not to unfriend me on Facebook. Oh, most of my family blocked me anyway. So I'm very proud of that. <laughs> um, I persuaded him to get a COVID vaccine in combination with the fact that he had several friends die. So that was probably ultimately. But oh, I like wow. to think I like to think I like the groundwork. Yes. <laughs> and then reality set in. I think that the best way to keep the conversation from a place of curiosity is sometimes to step out in vulnerability first, because we say we want to be curious, but if you're just coming with facts and news reports, like that's not curious. The curiosity is how'd you get there? I can tell you how I got there. This is why this is so important to me. Mm. You know, I ran for office in my hometown and when I knocked on doors during the 2016 election, it was a very intense political moment. And people would say, how do you feel about Hillary Clinton? And I would say, well, I worked for her because they couldn't argue with my personal experience, Mm -hmm. right? It wasn't, I wasn't bringing my news reports and they were bringing their news reports. I was moving the conversation to, this is my firsthand experience within this issue. And so, you know, there's a lot of abortion rights amendments on the ballot this year. And so I've spent a lot of time talking about a pregnancy that I lost. Like, I really want, but like, I'm tearing up right now. That's a vulnerable place to go. And we don't want to do that. I think for a lot of obvious reasons, usually lost trust inside the relationship. Can I actually trust this person to not use my vulnerability against me? That's always the risk when you are vulnerable inside a relationship in a conversation. But I think what we're, the reason we come at each other like that is because We do want to hear like there's a sense of like, I don't want to just hear it parroted back to me. I want I think we have this subconscious need to like bounce our ideas off each other. Do they stick? Can I convince them? Because this seems so true to me. How could they not see it as true? I feel like that's what we're trying to do. And it's like the more we silence it, the more it builds up. And it's just this like verbal diarrhea the second any kind of politics comes out because everybody's saving it up and they're mad and they're frustrated and they feel silenced on both ends of the spectrum. And so the second it comes up, it's just like chaos and a certain extent, like those demons have to get exercised. Like there's a lot of like when people are silenced, they just have to have a space to get it out. And so there's a, sometimes I think there's a space to be like, Hey, what do you feel like you're not getting to say? Just, just say it. Let's just get it out. Let's just 
Get it out. Mm-hmm. I will listen to you. I, I'm here to listen to you. And you might listen to some things that make you want to burn it all down. Mm-hmm. But then I've learned this from Beth. There comes a part in the conversation where you can say, hey, are you interested in what I think about that? Because who's going to say no? That's a real jerk move. Mm-hmm. Once you get once you get the buy-in, once somebody says, you know what? I am interested in what you have to think or what you have to say about this. Well, then that's, that's a different vibe. That's a different vibe. Mm. Well, thank you for your vulnerability and sharing about your pregnancy. I know that must have been tough and probably tough to tell family members and complete strangers. But I think those you can't argue with personal experience. Mm-hmm. And we all have, we all bring so much baggage to the table, to your point. Yeah, this is just, it's, it's super complicated. And as a parent... We don't even, we don't watch a ton of TV, especially during the week. But when we had it on in the background, the political ads were in North Carolina right now. And mm. the, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I heard Michael Schur talking. He, he's the creator of the good place parks and rec. This like pretty genius guy. Um, wrote for 30 Rock. He was doing a book tour and he came from California to North Carolina to sign books. And when you're in California, you don't, you don't get those ads. You get those ads when you're in a swing state, right? When you, you have a chance, there's really no point of having those ads in a state where you know you're not going to win. And he was stunned uh, by the, the ridiculous, I don't want to say ridiculousness, but just the extremism it's, of the ads. Yeah. I would yeah. say like to the point where I'm like, and my kids are 12 and 15. I mean, they've probably watched movies they shouldn't have watched. And I was running to the TV <laughs> during dinner time to turn it off because they're talking. I mean, it is, it is so graphic and inappropriate i don't even know who mm-hmm. was campaign i don't even know who the commercials were for but i was yeah. running who I, watches it, commercials i, 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 I know who watched, i was like I, I don't even know who they're campaigning for or against but it was just it was so terrible so how do you talk to your kids about what's happening now and in 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 the hatred we see along party lines well we both are very open with our kids mm-hmm. um we have an echo show in our kitchen. So the headlines kind of run through that, which I didn't think about when we got it. I was thinking more about like being able to look at a recipe while I was cooking dinner. <laughs> but it's been kind of great because it will prompt them to say, what's that mean? Mm. And and sometimes it will be like, what does that mean about Herschel Walker? Right. And something pretty uncomfortable comes up. And it's a good opportunity to share Here is a person who's running for office. This is what the position is. These are the kinds of qualifications you need to do this job. Here is his background. Here is why this is controversial right now. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And often they'll say, well, that sounds so silly. Like you can't be a football player and then just go be a senator without anything else intervening. Even if we if we leave out some of the most controversial pieces. Right. Right. And I'll say, yeah, you know, it's just that people have kind of decided that we're on two teams and that this is all a game and that your team winning is more important than any of the individuals in the picture. And then we can have that discussion. How did we get here? That sounds dumb. And then they lose interest and are on to something else. <laughs> yeah. And one of our big rules is that we let the kids lead these conversations and decide when they're over. And that's fine. But I think over time, I've really been trying, especially with COVID, to use this as an opportunity 
to teach my girls to just value government and to understand how hard a lot of the questions that are being decided are. We say that all the time, especially about school stuff. Boy, that's a hard decision. I wouldn't want to be your principal right now. That's a really tough one. We really need people who study these issues and think deeply about them to do this job. And I think that's about all we can do for an 11-year-old. I don't know how it will unfold as they get older, but I really am trying to instill the value in them that this is serious. It's not a game. Um, I think that's how we erode some of this partisanship, just bringing people back to reality. So in a fun twist, my dad is all the all the way on one end of the spectrum and my 13-year-old is all the way on the other. Um, I tell people, I used to joke when I was pregnant, like, no, Alex P. Keaton's allowed, but my 13-year-old is making me the Alex P. Keaton uh-huh. because he is so far to the left of where I am. And so we spend a lot of time talking about like, Differing opinions. And hey, like there's not just one way to feel about this. Yeah. Now, I do have to remind myself that legalistic thinking is developmentally appropriate um, in teenagers. So there's a little bit of that that I think is just baked in. Uh, But it's been a good exercise for me. Like it's a good exercise for me to feel like, wait, how did I end up on this side of the debate? (laughs) What happened here? Um, But I think it's really good and helpful like he challenges me and he and we have to talk about like but what's play that out how would that end um and really just working through the trying to teach him to dig deeper than this sort of thumbs up thumbs down clickbait headlines of so much of what's going on in the world even in sort of like his his tightly controlled internet universe Uh um And I think that that's been really interesting for me because I've been so sort of forceful with my political opinions with them because I have three boys and I think it's important for them to see a strong female political voice in their lives. But it's like sometimes it it boomerangs back and I'm like, no, wait, you're taking that. (laughs) You feel too strongly about that. Too far. Pump the brakes. And so, but I mean, it's good. I think it's really good and important. And I just, I don't, we don't have any, like, I don't protect them. I'm way more protective about the type of movies they'll watch than the type of headlines they can see or the things we'll talk about. Okay. Um. So that's, that might not be where most people settle, but it is where I still yeah. like, we don't watch horror films, but we will definitely talk about abortion because that they're talking about it at school. Oh yeah. They just are. They just are. Man, I re- remember Griffin and his friends went through a phase where it's like, they were talking about North Korea at school all the time. And I'm like, what, what? is happening? Why <laughs> is it intelligently? I mean, no, <laughs> like it just, I was like, why are you guys so consumed with this? But I guess it was just, you know, it was in the yeah. headlines a lot. And it's pretty I sexy. Think it was, <laughs> yeah. I think it was like when Trump was like going to North Korea, yeah. you know, like yeah. it was, those visits it's... were everywhere and they were just talking about it all the time. And I'm like, y'all are thinking about North Korea more than I am. What is going on? But it just, it bubbles up and like, they're going to talk about it. You're like, so right. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want to go back to the society of persuasion. I think that was one of the first things that you said. And I think that is really, I think that's at the heart of all of this is you want to get your feelings across. You gave some good examples on, on using personal philosophies. I, my, my philosophy is that manners and tact are just so important. Maybe it's because I grew up in the South. I'm not sure what it is, but I have friends, quite a few, we live in a swing state, who are across the aisle from me very clearly. And we coexist on this basic philosophy that I don't know if I'm rationalizing it, or if, but to me, it feels natural, okay? I think that most people have one thing that, that, that you can point to. Like, there, you may have a lot of things, but like one thing where if, 
your party lines up with that one thing, that's where you're going to end up going. Or if the party on the other side disrespects that one thing, you're going in the other direction. I have, a, I have one clear thing. For me, it's, I mean, I'll just, it's pretty obvious because I've talked about this in growing up with a dad who is into civil rights. It's human equality, right? Like that's my one thing. Women's rights, gay rights, LGBTQ plus rights, whatever color you're from, whatever nation you're from, everyone should be treated equally, right? And whoever does the best job of that, it's pro- they're probably going to get my vote. My friend, my other friend, let, I'll call him Mitch, the economy is that that is his thing. He looks at the the world. He is he is uh, works in a, a job that's in the economy. Whichever uh, party he believes is doing the best job, you know, shepherding our country in whatever direction. That's what what gets his votes. And to him, he and I usually end up voting on different sides when it comes to that. I don't want to try to persuade him about the economy. I don't know enough about it. I also don't think I would ever change his mind. All I can do is when we're not even talking about politics, just try to gently remind him to try to empathize with people who are disenfranchised and aren't being treated equally. And to try to say, you know, put yourself in this person's shoes. Not even we're having a political conversation. But that's really the only way that I feel I'll ever be able to make a difference. Because honestly, like guys don't talk about politics that much. As Beth said, we just talk about sports. Like, you know, that's that. that He's that, leaning into the stereotype. That's our, No, we do. Like, that's our filler. <laughs> if we're sitting around, we may have like too many beers and get into politics. But for the most part, we have that buffer when we all get together and we chat. But am I doing enough to persuade when that's what it is? Well, I think it's the one thing I would say is I don't actually don't think everybody has their one thing. Okay. I think that your political partisanship is largely predicted on family experience, personality, and just habit. Just habit. And then we use the one thing to prop that up. So think about what you just said uh, because of the way I was raised and it was important to my dad. So su- subconsciously or consciously, voting for a different party would be like a rejection of your dad. Like we heard that a lot from women in our audience who did change their party affiliation and they felt like, It was a rejection of my family, sometimes because their family articulated that to them. You are rejecting us. You are rejecting what what is right and good in the world because you were voting for a different political party. Like it is so enmeshed identity wise that the idea that people are voting on issues, I think, is just no longer if it really was ever true. I think it's always been largely predicted on personality and family voting history and what you were taught in church and what like well, maybe I, what yeah. issues you had personal it, experience with it, like that kind right. of thing like and, that's it gets really wrapped up in that and my dad was a preacher so i learned this in church and also in my home but if if our, if the party that we vote for switch sides he would switch sides too he has that one thing as well yeah so i mean i think it 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 it's it's complicated i guess is what i'm saying and so you know, and I, I think we kind of use it, especially if you're not a hyper political person as a shortcut to sort of just escape out the, the patch. Right. Like, yep. that's my trap door. Like, no, I don't like it's just this one thing to me. You know, I had a, a really good friend who has voted Republican her whole life and is devastated, devastated, crying in tears over the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Mm. And I said, but <laughs> this has been the stance the whole time. It's not a surprise. Like it's been the stance. And she was like, well, I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm fiscally conservative and I just thought they didn't mean it. Mm. And like, we heard that a lot from people. Like I just, this is what I, I thought this was just a side thing. I knew what my thing was and what I, what I attached to. I mean, because a lot of people, some of whom are prosecuting affirmative action, the Supreme court would say, well, you're with the party right now 
who doesn't believe everyone should be treated the same, no matter the color of their skin. You're with the party who thinks people should be treated differently because of the color of their skin. Right. right. So it's not, it's always a little more, I think there's, there's sticky. Nuance. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stickiness there. And so when we're with each other, I think the, the way to persuade and the way to give that grace is just to acknowledge it. Just to say, you know what? I I get it. Like, there's no easy way to feel about this. And mm-hmm. I obviously care about the economic future of my family just as much as you do. I care deeply about <laughs> whether I can afford a home or whether my kids can afford a home or can afford to go to college. But I don't think that just one side has it figured out and they have the monopoly on this issue gets us anywhere, right? I don't think one side has the monopoly on fiscally responsible policies. I don't think one side has the monopoly on caring about children. That's our, that's our, like, you know, that's what we all like to throw away. You don't care around kids. You don't, mm-hmm. you want to keep the schools open. You don't care about kids. You want to close the school down. You don't care about kids. You want to be pro-choice. You don't care about kids. You want to be pro-life. You don't really care about the kids. Like that's, that's what we love to throw around. And I really try to operate in a space like everybody, most everybody, unless you have very, very, very bad <laughs> problems. Once what's best for their kids yeah. We just define it a little differently, but everybody wants their kid's life to be a little bit better than theirs. And so I think living in that space and just like acknowledging the complexity, but that we do share some things, but that the idea that there's an easy answer to these things we care deeply about is not getting us anywhere. Beth, I, I mean, what I would not, say, yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you. Mm-hmm. If, what I would say if I were hanging out with you and Mitch is that different elections present different questions. And the question in this election is being presented mostly by media and certainly by the parties as sort of human rights versus the economy. But the trouble is here in 2022, those things are entirely dependent on one another. If Mitch says, I want a thriving economy, well, of course we all do. A thriving economy in our capitalist society presupposes a stable functioning democratic governance. If we do not have that, we cannot have that thriving economy. And the other side, the place where you can reach back to Mitch is to say, yeah, we really need a good economy for everyone to actually be treated equal. And we need to think about how we measure that economy so that everyone is actually being treated equally in it, not that we're just using indicators that only benefit a certain slice of society. But our fortunes are tied together. We can't one issue it because the world doesn't allow for that. However you feel about climate change right now. You cannot argue with the fact that the Mississippi River is too dry to float barges carrying food. I'm not hearing Republicans or Democrats speak to that issue well. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do next? Because every election presents a different set of choices and characteristics that we have to evaluate. And I think the trouble is the world is so complex that we do need shortcuts. People are stressed with their jobs and their laundry and their kids and dinner and the relentlessness of extracurricular activities. I get it. (laughs) And it is hard to investigate all of this stuff thoroughly. But the trouble is too many of us have said, okay, then I'm going to fall into the shortcuts. And it sounds like right now gas prices are a little high. So maybe we try Republicans. That's that doesn't get it done anymore. It is. It's all too connected for that. So and you had a recent podcast and you um, you shared a quote actually from a political ad that reminded voters that you don't have to agree on everything a candidate stands for to vote for them. Um, similarly, like you don't agree with everything your spouse or partner says, but you stay married <laughs> to them. <laughs> Could you expand That's Tim on- Ryan and his wife. That was the cutest ad. Yeah. So um, so talk to us a little. I mean, it kind of falls in line with what you were just saying, Beth, that like. 
you're you're not going to agree with everything a candidate has to say. I, probably. You're not going to agree with everything anyone has to say. What a silly expectation. I don't know how we got there. The framework that helps us the most is to talk to people about voting as a hiring decision, not a purchasing decision. Mm -hmm. We are purchasing candidates right now and expecting them to show up in Congress and vote with their parties. And it's not a surprise that Tim Ryan aired this ad because a lot of Tim Ryan's pitch is, I am not a generic Democrat. I want to be Ohio's senator. So I am going to, yes, be a Democratic senator and be in that caucus, but I am not afraid to ruffle feathers, to bring up issues that my party's missing, to occasionally vote across the aisle. That's his pitch. That's a good pitch. That's what most people want to hear everywhere, right? No one wants to. We say we do not want to elect a generic Democrat or a generic Republican, but then we give ourselves permission to behave as though that's exactly what we're doing. So I can look at someone like Cory Booker, who... I do not agree with on every issue. Again, silly statement. I don't agree with anybody on every issue, but he is much more progressive on a number of economic issues than I am. But I would hire him in a second for the most important jobs in our government because I believe him to be a person of integrity who will uphold the duties and responsibilities of those offices and hear out everyone else. I believe that he would care about people like me, even as he might push me in a direction that's a little farther than I would want to go. I don't know many people who can say that about every candidate they've supported over time. I certainly can't. And I'm really trying to reframe who do I want to hire for this position, especially in local and state races. And local and state races, when it comes down to it, are are as important, maybe even more important to our daily lives. The I was registered as an independent for years and years. And that is what I did. I mean, this is like when kids, like pre-kids and when kids were little, when I feel like I had more time to actually research, like, because I actually don't want the candidate that's just going to like punch, punch a vote and like walk in, hit a button and walk out. Like I, I would love, I like applaud the person that votes across party lines. I love it to see somebody who's, who's really thinking about each individual issue. I was just I mean, like, did you applaud what Joe Manchin did? Yeah, true. Uh, no. Okay, I'm just making sure. <laughs> that's a tough one. Sorry, I just, I, I'm sorry. That's I just had to jump point. in. There. I mean, because yeah. that's it. Fair, right? We applaud. We say we applaud it, but our system doesn't. Our yeah. system doesn't. Those people are dropping like flies in yeah. the United States Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are a lot of systemic reasons for that. And I think that it it makes think of what we're saying here. So we're saying. You're back it's to like being our therapist. Once the shortcuts, right? <laughs> like we're saying we we used to do this. We used to do all this research and we wanted to understand. But, you know, our lives get intense. The information coming at us about these candidates has degree- increased dramatically. Used to you'd get the paper. Right. And you'd look at the local paper and you'd read the paper and then you decide. Now, our, my local paper still does a candidate insert like that. But now you have like all this other flow of information. And so it's like at the same time. We want them to be independent, but we don't have the time or the capacity to take in what all that independence means. Mm-hmm. And so we need we depend on the parties as a shortcut. Or if you're an independent or moderate, you just say it's politics. Like mm-hmm. it's just it's politics and you just kind of roll your eyes mm-hmm. and it becomes this sort of background noise in a circus when in a lot of ways it is. But it's a very important circus, you guys. Like this circus it matters. And I think that that it it feeds this sense of like it's too much. So one of the things we've been doing 
in our personal lives is we've started hosting ballot clubs. I'm going to have mine tonight where I invited members of my community to just come to my house and we're going to work our way through the ballots. People listen, people in California have been doing this a long time because they have a referendum book that's like a small college textbook. Yeah, so they have all to split the taxes it up. for sure. They do. They have to like just break that up. Like you got you take this one, I'll take this one. But you know, and and in a way, like I think it's positive and also it is a higher order task yeah. that a lot of people don't have the capacity to do. I don't want that to say I, I am giving as much grace as I can. I'm not saying that makes you a bad person. It doesn't. Right. It doesn't make you a bad person. If you neither have the time nor capacity to do that, much less to vote, because there are a lot of people who just don't vote. It breaks my heart because I, you know, democracy is a is a tough system in which we are at the the whims of our fellow citizens who might not care, who don't want to do the research, who might want to reward party loyalty above all else, because that's what makes sense to them on an emotional level. And, you know, it's it's. There's not a, it's not an accident that this is some of the things that the founding fathers were battling through. Like we call them elitist, but this idea of like, well, if we open up to everybody, some people aren't going to do their homework. They're just going to vote on what makes them mad. That's what they were basically saying. Yeah. And it's true, but we don't have another system. We don't have, there's not a better idea that I see out there. Although I think some people would say, I just want authoritarianism. I think there are some Americans who say pretty openly, I'd prefer just to have authoritarianism and not have to go through all this intense intellectual and emotional work. Why don't you just tell us what to do? Um, so like, I just, I think that's, that's where we're at is this acknowledging the deep vulnerability and the just messiness of a democratic system involving 300 million people. Like it's Mm -hmm. messy. It's just deeply, deeply messy. But again, I don't see a better alternative. And until someone can present one to me, like, we're just going to have to keep engaging with people who do make us want to burn it all down or who for what it's worth, actually do want to burn it all down. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we need some cliff notes to end this up. Like, right? Like what if like what have we learned today? What are our cliff notes? I think some of the things that I've heard, one big thing that I heard was it's complicated. I think um, even it's helpful for me to yeah. even like to say it and to give myself like when you said give yourself grace, I am gonna give myself grace and it's it's helpful to even know that it is so messy and complicated and that's and it yeah. Ha- okay, here's a, here's a question. Has it always been this messy and complicated? Or, I, I, my instinct is yes. Like, my instinct yeah, is it's yes. always involved humans. It's, so always, it's always been messy and complicated. I, I think the addition, listen, I think there's great value in social media. We make our living off of social media and the internet. Mm-hmm. But I, I am going to say, like, Facebook does not help the situation. It's not, it's not helpful mm-hmm. in relationships. So, my... Is it, do you see a time when there is it just going to be like this forever, or do you see a time in which there is? I mean, a, until the Civil War. <laughs> Stop it! Which, no! Stop it! No, I'm like, to your point. Don't put that energy out there. I mean, has it always been like this? We had a civil war about we it. No, like, no, yeah, exactly. We, no, so, exactly. So, but yeah. do you do you picture a time when we can? Because I get offended when people say, like, I've just, I want to come to the middle. I'm like, I don't want to come to the middle with those people. So, like, do you picture a time <laughs> when, when I, like, we can all chill out a bit? We can have more of the, the vibe of grace? I do. 
I think it has always been messy and complicated. And we need to remember, and what would help us get to that time of greater grace is that our system is messy and complicated by design. Mm -hmm. It is supposed to be hard to get things done in the United States of America because that's how we don't have a king. Mm -hmm. It is supposed to be frustrating. I do applaud Joe Manchin sometimes because you are supposed to have, Sarah and I used to talk about ourselves as the accelerator and the brakes in the car. You need someone saying, hang on, what happens if we do that? Whether it's in the private sector or the public one. You're, you're so right. Yeah. So remembering that we we are supposed to be in this very frustrating, slow moving process because that's how power remains constrained. And a lot of our problem right now is that we've got a small percentage, but a very loud vocal percentage of people who don't want power constrained by any force. Mm. I just saw Black Adam, which I don't recommend, but there was a really succinct <laughs> moment um, where where one of the characters said, we used to be something better than free. We were great. And I think that's where a lot of our fellow citizens are right now. They are willing to sacrifice a lot to just feel like we're winning at something. And so remembering that power needs to be constrained, I think, is important. But yes, I think your point, Penn, about manners and tact, that is a cyclical thing. How much we yeah. value that is cyclical. Okay. And, and every cultural dynamic has its backlash moment. And I think we just happen to be living in a spectacularly crude time. And and I think that that will come back around and it'll probably overcorrect because that is what we do. Yeah. We're in some ways overcorrecting for the 50s right now. Mm. Okay. And, and someday in the future, that's going to swing the other way. And I don't know when we get to an equilibrium. I don't think it'll be in my lifetime. But I think I can be part of getting to that equilibrium in my tiny way. Just tr- just trying to put good stuff in the river of American history is all we can really hope for. Listen, we have a phrase in Kentucky. It's If you don't like the weather in Kentucky, stay a day. It'll change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't like politics, stay a day. It'll change. There's yeah. no stasis. There's no stasis. There's no stasis in authoritarian governments. Look at Russia. Look at China yeah. right now struggling with their economy. Like, I think we have this vision of like somebody gets in charge and they take that unrestrained power and we're stuck there forever. That's not true. That's not how it works. That is fragile. That is fragile. That sort brittle. of power. Unchecked. Yeah. Brittle. Brittle. You know, it breaks easy, not always easy, but it does break. And I think like just remembering like if there's no stasis in American politics, like there's all like it's things are shifting. People are making mistakes. People are opening up. People are seeing their moment like it's sort of, you know, Shakespearean in all its ways all the time. Like there's always machinations by Joe Manchin or otherwise. And I just think that that. I have to remind myself that like it's not like this election result is the end and we're done. Like that's my that's my hopeful place always for American politics. Even if we got to that place where we're all moderate and it's like we've settled down, that's not going to stay the same either. Like mm-hmm. that's not that's not a permanent place. We don't show up at a place in American politics and dust our hands off and go, "We're done. We did it." No, you're like it's just yeah. Constantly growing and changing, and that is a hopeful thing to think about. It, it, it is oddly comforting to know that, like one of my favorite lines from Avenue Q, the musical, "It's everything in life is only for now." Oh, I thought you were going to say yep. everyone's a little bit racist. There's also a song called "Everyone's a Little Bit Racist." <laughs> I do love that song. Musical. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> there, there is that song. It's a that's a profound piece of art. Musical, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Um, but is. everything in life is only for now is like oddly comforting. And you also said it something is. like. You know, I wear, I, I go to therapy, which is why you guys are not my therapist. Um, and that, like, life is not supposed to be comfortable. Like, mm-hmm. happiness, like, it is, we're supposed to always be a little uncomfortable. So that is comforting to hear that 
it's supposed to feel this way. And it sucks sometimes to turn on the news and I want to like throw my phone when I open Twitter. But like that's what's supposed to be happening. Speaking of which, yeah. how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. No, you got you ladies are great. Okay. You, you ladies are you great. You guys, no, you guys are great. I've been looking at you and I just looked at her for the first time about five minutes ago and I was like, oh, is she okay? No, no, this You're is good. this is politics, yeah. Kim. Yeah. This is who, who, I mean, you. <laughs> she got her serious face on. My serious yeah. face. Because no. I, I think the world, you know, if you just follow our Instagram or our TikTok, you know, like you see like happy jazz, jazz hands, Kim, but the podcast, which is what mm. we love so much, there's time for more nuanced conversations. And people know that. They know they're getting yeah. into that. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. So it's And not, I think the I'm way. I'm so happy that you found that space for what yeah. it's worth. And I'll say, I just love the way that you guys use humor to name what is. Like some of what you did around COVID helped me so much because it just made me think someone else sees this. That it is madness. And, it and it's sucks. not even choose a size madness. It's just, wow, what a bananas time we're living through. And and my friend Anna says this a lot. Like, all you can do when things are really hard is just say what is true about what's going yeah. on. And I think you do a beautiful job in a delightful way of saying what's true. And we desperately need more delight. Mm. And I will say, like, that's what that's the energy to bring to a political conversation. Ah. I think we can't say things are hard because we think that they'll hear my side is wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm acknowledging that things are difficult. And that means that my party is wrong and my leaders are wrong and my leaders are doing a bad job. And we have got to let that go. We have got to let that go. We have got to find space to go. Yeah, no, I think it's hard now too. And I don't see an easy answer because we think we have to hold the posture of no, my side has all the answers instead right. of saying, man, it's hard right now. It's really hard right now. Yeah. You ladies are wonderful. Yeah, thank you, you guys for taking therapist. Yeah. You should charge by the hour. Um, oh, okay, great. I know you've had a podcast for seven seven years. Seven, seven years. years. Seven years. So We're you like started in 2015. In that was an interesting time. 2015. We have some timing. Yeah, we had some real time. <laughs> well, I'm just going back because 2015. I think everybody was like, "Wait, okay, so this guy. That's not who's going to run for that. Is that?" Is that going to, oh, I that is what's going to happen. Our first episode yeah. and his trip down the escalator are very tightly aligned. In okay. Very tightly aligned. Okay. Wildly. Wow. Um, so seven, that, that, and if you're listening to this, uh, to this podcast, we'll put all the notes about books and podcasts and where to, to find, but uh, to, where to find Sarah and Beth. But can you tell us before you leave us, what do you guys, anything special you guys are working on you want people to know about? We're going to have an episode coming up that is more about political conversations around the holidays. We have a bunch of questions from listeners about specific things they anticipate coming up at the Thanksgiving table. Mm -hmm. So you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. And we would love for if you if you enjoyed this conversation, uh, more of this coming that way. And then I'm assuming you're going to set up a private practice where people can come visit you by the hour. And you could also give like what's that rate? That rate has to be astronomical. Yeah. And then you have somebody coming in to give like simultaneous neck massages so you're talking yeah, about all this you can do it while you're you can put an airpod in and you could just have us in your ears going you can do this you can, you can do, do this. it it'll yeah. be difficult but give the give the grace yeah no this has been it's it's been very comforting for me and i don't think i went God. off the rails i don't think i did i you didn't i don't think i'm I really was very, I'm... i think the best moment is when he said how about joe manchin and he went <laughs> 
No. I yeah. thought that was that was mwah, chef's kiss. I like that very much. I, and I wasn't Stay. trying to I wasn't trying to throw you under the bus. No, there. but it's I was true. Just, but but yeah. you were you it's you fair. you held that is I have to you say, learned something. You le- I I will say one of it is the really strange emotion, and I encourage anybody to try to experience this to have your mind changed. And you you guys did you held you you held it up to my face. You're like you say you want somebody to be able to go to both sides, but when they do, you get pissed off. You're I'm like you're right. I, what I just said is complete false. I, I, I no, it's true. I that, that and so my mind was changed. So, ladies, thank you so much. Go listen well, to Pantsuit Politics, and where where can they find you on social media? Is it at Pantsuit Politics? Mm-hmm. On, yeah. Instagram. on Instagram and at Pantsuit Politic because Twitter limits your handles. On uh, oh, uh, Twitter. Sarah and don't Beth, go to Twitter. Yeah. Just go to Instagram. Exactly. Just don't go to it's, Twitter. Instagram. It's probably a better choice right Twitter's now. Twitter's in a weird <laughs> spot right now. Sarah and Beth, uh, <laughs> we are so grateful to now be able to call you as friends. We will need your oh. cell phone for when um, the bleep thank- gets real. On Thanksgiving uh, Day. And we'll just, yeah, we'll yeah. just, we'll just <laughs> DM <laughs> you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.